Genesis 50, and Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, and the physicians embalmed Israel. And forty days were fulfilled for him, for so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. And when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die. In my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan, there shalt thou bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury thy father, according as he made thee swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph, and his brethren, and his father's house, only their little ones, and their flocks, and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan, and there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning in the floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore, the name of it was called Abel Mizraim, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them. For his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, which Abraham bought with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day 
to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived an hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being a hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. This is the divinely inspired, sacred scripture. May God bless it to our hearts. The text for the sermon this morning is verse 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Genesis 49 concludes with the death of Jacob, and Genesis 50 then answers the question, now what? And that question, now what, does not primarily concern the body of the old patriarch. For Jacob had made very plain to his children that after he died there in Egypt, he wanted them to take his body and bring it up into the promised land of Canaan so that he could be buried with his grandparents, Abraham and Sarah, and with his parents, Isaac and Rebekah. So according to chapter 50, they did that. They brought his body into the promised land. But rather that question, now what, is the burning and weighty question that is pressing down upon the hearts of all of these brothers. Now that our father Jacob is dead, what will brother Joseph do unto us? They were terrified. Because many, many years earlier, when he was a teenager, a 17-year-old boy, they sold him into Egypt. And you know this marvelous history, many years passed. And eventually, these brothers themselves would leave the promised land and go down into Egypt to find food during the Great Famine. And that's when they would meet their brother again, many years later. But now... He wasn't that 17-year-old shepherd boy any longer. Now he had more power over them than they had ever had over him. He was a mighty ruler in Egypt. And now they're thinking about all the evil they perpetrated against him. What will brother Joseph do unto us? Surely he will seek vengeance and retribution. Now what? Well, now we have the words of Genesis 50, verse 20, where Joseph makes his confession to his brothers and says, As for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. 
These are some of the most well-known and moving and beautiful words in the whole Bible. These are some of the most theologically rich words in the whole Bible. We have here the covenant of God, the counsel of God, the providence of God, the goodness of God, the absolute sovereignty of God over all things, even over the evil intentions of men and how God works everything for good. And though this verse isn't the last verse of the chapter and book, it is very close and it forms part of the conclusion to the book. The book begins with good. Everything is good. And God behold, beheld all that he had made and behold, it was all very good. What a beautiful beginning to a book. But then by the instigation of the devil, sin comes and evil erupts through the whole human race. And you read the book of Genesis and there is evil through the whole book. Even in covenant families. But that evil will never get the last word because God is sovereign and God is good. And so we have at the very end of the book, though you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. For the glory of His own name, the coming of the Messiah, the salvation of His people, the sovereignty, the goodness of God. So we have here the confession of Joseph to his brothers, but God meant it for good. And let's take that as our theme this morning and then look at three things. First of all, the evil perpetrated, the good accomplished, and finally, the confession made. The evil perpetrated, now we're interested in that little pronoun it in the theme of the sermon but God meant it for good that little it is referring back to the evil but as for you ye thought evil against me but God meant it the evil unto good so what is this evil of which Joseph speaks well it is the brother's murderous attempt to destroy him and for the history we have to go back to Genesis chapter 37 so the patriarch Jacob was living in the promised land of Canaan, and he had 12 sons and one daughter with four different women. And it's not surprising at all that there would be a lot of trouble in this home and family because God never designed a home to have one man bringing forth children with four different women at the same time. And there was a lot of trouble. So Father Jacob has this particularly strong affection for his son Joseph because Joseph was born to his favorite wife, Rachel. So he favored Joseph with this special coat of many colors and that, of course, provoked the brothers to bitter resentment. So that Genesis 37 verse 4 says, his brethren hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. That hatred they had then only intensified when Joseph had those two dreams, one of the sheaves and one of the heavenly bodies. And he tells his dreams to his brothers and he prophesies of his future supremacy and how they will be bowing down before him. They hated him all the more. But they not only hated him, they were very, very jealous Genesis 37, verse 11 says, And his brothers envied him. 
And then you think of Proverbs 27, verse 4. Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand? Joseph. Who is able to stand before envy? All this hatred and envy in the brothers then came to manifestation in their murderous treachery and cruelty. So one day these older brothers as shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by day, they were out in some distant fields. They look up on the horizon and here he comes. They see him, their 17-year-old brother Joseph. So they start plotting what they will do unto him. Let's take him, we'll kill him, we'll throw him into one of these deep pits and say an animal got him. No, 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 says Reuben. Let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into one of the pits. Well, here he comes, Joseph. And he's completely oblivious to all of their murderous intentions. And for him, it's just another ordinary day. And as soon as he arrives, they do something unto him that neither he nor they would ever forget as long as they all did live. They brutally assaulted him, tore that coat of many colors, cast him into one of those pits, those deep, dry wells, and he hits the bottom of the pit, obviously dazed, confused, betrayed, forsaken. And there he sits now at the bottom of this pit. And the brothers, in their calloused hatred, they sit down along the brim of the pit. And they take out their lunches and start eating. He's way down at the bottom. And that's when they look up and they see these Ishmaelite traders on their way to Egypt. And so they have a new idea. And they haul Joseph back out of the pit and they sell him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And we're told later in history, Leviticus 27 verse 5, that that is the measly price for a male slave between the ages of 5 and 20. He's 17. They sell him for 20 pieces of silver. So he has these new masters. He trudges his way into this alien land of Egypt and they watch him go convinced they'll never see brother Joseph again. He's gone. And you know the rest of the history he sold to Potiphar. In that house, Potiphar's wife will try to lure him into fornication. He refuses. She concocts all kinds of lies against him, false charges. He's cast into the deepest prison of the king. Years later, God will take him out. Pharaoh will exalt him. And if we come all the way to the history of Genesis 50, here he is now in Egypt, a powerful ruler with all of these brothers now standing before him. And his word is evil. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. And that word really emphasizes the misery, the anguish of his experience. Evil. That evil perpetrated by the brothers was a terrible evil for several reasons. First of all, it was an evil that was intentionally perpetrated by human beings. There are very, very many evils in life. And you think of Job's word to his wife when he says, what? 
Shall we receive good from the hand of the Lord, but shall we not receive evil? So that was Job's word to describe what happened to him. All these evils. That fire that came to destroy his animals and his servants. That's an evil. That great wind that came and blew, knocked down the house of his adult children, killing all one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. All ten of his children in one day. And evil, those boils that covered him from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet, causing him to writhe in pain. Evil, all these evils, that's what they are as we experience them. Evils, they're miserable, they make us anguish. But there, there is no evil. That can hurt you and touch you so deeply in your personhood as when another human being intentionally tries to hurt you. And that's what they did. Fire is not malicious. Wind is not malicious. Boils, cancer, does not consciously try to destroy you but human beings can. And the brothers did. And Joseph really emphasizes that when he says, but as for you, ye thought. You thought it. A few words later, that word is translated as meant. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. That's the same verb. It means to plot, to plan, to devise according to the original Hebrew root. It means to take many things and weave them all together. This was very intentional. This was a crafty plot. It's not that what the brothers did, they accidentally did. We didn't mean to do that. Nor is it the case that all of a sudden, in a fit of rage without any premeditation, they did something to Joseph after which they could immediately apologize and say, no, no, we didn't, sorry, we got caught up in our passions. We didn't mean to do that. They meant this. They thought this. They planned this. They devised this with intention. They carefully weaved this plot of cruelty against Joseph. And it's that kind of evil that leaves wounds that go far, far deeper than fire, wind, boils, that caused the sufferer to cry out, why? Why did you do that to me? How? How could you do that to me? Secondly, what made this evil so terrible is that it was intentionally perpetrated by human beings who were Joseph's brothers. It's bad enough to have the Egyptian seductress trying to destroy you in Potiphar's house. She's outside of. She's an enemy of the covenant. Today, it's, of course, it's bad enough to have someone next to you in the workplace in an office who... De- hates you, devises evil against you, hates you for the sake of Jesus Christ. But when it's your own brother of your own flesh and blood 
Proverbs 17, verse 17, a friend loveth at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So that if there's one person in the whole world you ought to be able to trust, he will never lay a finger on me. He will never intend any evil or mischief against me. In fact, he lives for me. He was born for my day of adversity, so when trouble comes, if anyone will be there to stand for me, defend me, protect me, and love me, of course, that's my brother. And now he looks at all of them, and they're all his brothers. But as for you, brothers, ye thought evil against me. In the third place, what made this evil so terrible is that it was worked by the serpent. If we take the big picture theological view that is required according to Genesis 3 verse 15, this constant enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, whether Joseph is conscious of it or not, the serpent is here. And the serpent is working as the great malicious plotter of evil. The serpent who through the Old Testament is determined to destroy the seed of the woman who is determined to destroy every God-fearing representative of God's covenant like Joseph. The serpent who later in history will move the Jews and the Gentiles together with Pontius Pilate to take counsel against God's anointed and to slay the very Son of God The serpent involved in all of this hatred and envy and these cruel plots. And that only increases the the great wickedness of this evil. Evil. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. When Joseph utters these words, the brothers know exactly what he's talking about. Evil. It's been 39 years, you know. So they did this to him when he was a 17-year-old teenager. And if you read the history, we discover that he's sold into Egypt, he's cast into prison. Pharaoh will deliver him out of prison when he's 30 years old. And then we have seven good years of plenty, at the end of which he's 37. Then we have seven devastating years of famine. And it's during the second year of the famine that the brothers will come down to Egypt, and that's when they first meet Joseph again, he's 30 plus 7 plus 2. He's around 39 years of age when he first meets them. They will go back and get their father Jacob. Jacob will come down to Egypt, and we're told he lives there before he dies 17 years. So when he dies, and we're in the history of Genesis 50, Joseph is 39 plus 17 years. He's 56. He's 56, at least 56. They did this when he was 17. That means it happened 39 years ago. And when he says, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, they don't feign ignorance and put this confused look on their face and say, what are you talking about? 
We don't remember any of this. Reuben, you're the oldest. What's he talking about? Simeon, do you know? Joseph, what? What evil? Well, that's the, that's the raising of a great red flag of alarm when some horrible evil was perpetrated, even a crime, and someone says, I don't, I don't remember any of it. What are you talking about? They knew. In fact, they are the ones who bring it up. Verse 15, And when Joseph's brethren saw their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us of all the evil which, which we did unto him. These brothers are penitent. They are sorry for what they did. They acknowledge what they did. But they don't dare talk to Joseph. So they send a messenger to him and say, verse 17, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy Father. It's like we just did it yesterday. It's so fresh in our minds. Forgive us, we pray. And when they finally do dare to go meet him, they fall there in their 60s and 70s. These are older men now. They fall down before him on the ground. So he's standing, and they are all now on the ground, confessing their evil. Father Jacob is no longer so, some kind of buffer between them. He's gone. He's out of the picture. It's Joseph and the brothers. And they're terrified. Their guilty consciences are screaming. They fall down on the ground as beggars pleading for mercy as servants acknowledging their master Joseph. Forgive us, we pray. And he is just overcome with emotion. Verse 17, And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And then he speaks, verse 19, Fear not, for am I in the place of God, but as for you, ye thought evil against me. Evil. But God meant it unto good. So standing behind all that evil perpetrated by the brothers and worked by the serpent and experienced by Joseph, standing behind it all is the God who intended and the God who worked and the God who accomplished good in all that evil. The good accomplished. That good is defined, described, in the text by Joseph in the last clause. <clears throat> but God meant it unto good. What good? To bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So you go back into the prior history. Remember, God had sent that devastating famine into the land of Egypt and into all the surrounding territories threatening to consume off the face of the earth all men and beasts. Not only did that famine threaten to destroy all the ungodly Egyptians, but the peculiar covenant family of God, the family of Jacob in the promised land of Canaan. 
In fact, that famine was so devastating, this is the greatest significance, it was threatening to take the lives of that covenant family and specifically Judah. And now his son Perez. You don't read anything about Judah and Perez in this history, but there's no one more significant than Judah and now his son Perez because that messianic line, that seed of the Messiah that will begin in Adam and run through Abel stopped. Begin in Adam, run through Seth and down through the lineage, eventually Noah and Shem skip way ahead to Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David, <clears throat> and will culminate in the Lord Jesus Christ. That messianic line that runs through Abraham, runs through Isaac, runs through Jacob, and which of Jacob's 12 sons runs through Judah, and now Judah's son, Perez. If that line is cut off in the, in the famine and there is no seed to continue, the messianic line is cut off. There will be no Messiah. There will be no salvation from sin. No righteousness before God. The great covenant of God will collapse into the dust. The glory of God will be turned into shame. The messianic line. But God accomplished good as it is this day. Don't you see it, brothers? The good. God has saved much people alive. You, the covenant family, so much good. Years ago, you sold me into Egypt. I was cast into prison, but good. God lifted me out of prison. Good. God gave me wisdom to understand the times. Famine is coming. Wisdom to understand we need to start stockpiling resources, gather up all the corn of Egypt into the storehouses. A famine is coming. Good. God gave me that wisdom. Now don't you see it, brothers? You would have died in the famine, but God brought you down here to Egypt. He gave you food. He preserved your life to save much people alive. But that much people it is so much broader, there's no way Joseph can even fully understand the import of those words. Much people refers ultimately to all of the elect in the old dispensation, all elect Jews and Gentiles of the new dispensation, all the people of God, including you and me. We are in the text this morning in that word people. Much people is all the elect. If this messianic line is cut off, in the famine, there's no Messiah, no Gospel, no cross, no resurrection, and all people perish everlastingly in hell. Here's the great good God accomplished. He has saved, by preserving this Messianic line through all these events, He has saved much people alive. Good. How did He accomplish all that good? through the evil that was perpetrated by the brothers. We have to connect two dots in the history. They seem impossible to connect. Dot number one is a 17-year-old shepherd boy in Canaan who is a nobody. His name is Joseph. The second dot is a 56-year-old ruler in Egypt who rides in Pharaoh's second chariot, wears Pharaoh's ring, 
all Pharaoh's royal apparel, the one before whom all the knees of the Egyptians bow, and before whom people from all over the earth come to find food. His name is Joseph, and they're the same person. How, how, how does this 17-year-old boy become this great 56-year-old ruler in Egypt? How? All that evil as perpetrated by the brothers, the evil by which he was brought into Egypt and into prison, and you trace the history. God accomplished good, but we have to understand the connection between that good and all of that evil. And now that brings us to the two great theological realities of the text. The first of which is God's providence. That's taught in the text in the phrase to bring to pass. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. That's providence. Providence is the almighty and everywhere present power of God whereby as it were with His hand He upholds, governs, and directs everything in the universe. So that nothing ever happens by chance. But everything always happens as it is brought to pass by the providence of God. God brought to pass. God not only brought to pass all the good, God brought to pass all the evil. He's in control of everything. Now God bears no responsibility for the sins of those brothers. He didn't manipulate them to hate Joseph. He did not coerce them to hate and plot against Joseph. They willingly perpetrated all that evil against Joseph. Similarly, years later, God did not manipulate the Jews or coerce the Gentiles into nailing His Son to a cross. They wanted to do it and they took delight in doing it. Man bears responsibility for all of his sins at the same time. God is absolutely sovereign over everything, even over the evil intentions of men. As, as the wise man says in Proverbs 20 verse, 21, verse 1, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Everything is in God's hand. He's absolutely sovereign. Now, his sovereignty over all things and man's responsibility and his sin, his accountability, well, that's a great mystery. Belgic Confession, Article 13, a great mystery that surpasses our understanding and we will not curiously inquire into it farther than our capacity will admit. But by the grace of God, we will believe what the Scriptures so plainly teach and we will humble ourselves before the majesty of God. The sovereign God by His providence brought all of this to pass for good, not for evil, for good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Providence 
But there's another deeper reality in the text, and it's the main one. And that's the truth of God's eternal counsel. How do we understand this evil, this good, the relation between the two? God's counsel. The main verb of the text is, but God meant it unto good. So, brothers, you thought all this evil against me, but God meant it. God meant that evil. God thought that evil. God planned that evil. God devised that evil. Joseph doesn't say God worked that evil. That's certainly true. That's the truth of providence which we just explained. That God worked all this evil for good. But that's not what Joseph said. He goes deeper. He goes back even farther to God's meaning, His thinking, His planning, His devising, His taking many things and weaving them all together in the decrees of His eternal counsel. His good pleasure. God meant it. You have to go back to God's counsel. Joseph doesn't simply stay in time and reckon with God's providence to find comfort. Right now, God is working this all for good. We don't say enough about good and evil if all we do is stay in time and reckon with providence. When we teach the absolute sovereignty of God, we leave the wrong impression. It's wrong if we imagine that sin and evil arise in the world and then God arises in His sovereignty and God takes all that evil and He turns it unto good. We have to go before the evil all the way back to God's eternal counsel. His good pleasure, according to which He planned all things that shall ever be. Go back to His counsel. God not only planned all of the good, but before the mountains were brought forth, or ever God formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting, God decreed that Satan would rebel. God decreed the fall of Adam. God decreed that these brothers, God planned this, that these brothers would hate Joseph and throw him into that pit and sell him into Egypt. God planned that the Egyptian woman would try to seduce him and lure him into fornication. God planned what the Jews and the Gentiles together with Pontius Pilate would do at the cross in murdering his own son. Doesn't Peter preach that in his great Pentecost sermon of Acts chapter 2? When Peter says of Jesus, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. How do you explain that cross? He was delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Now you have taken, you have taken, and with wicked hands have crucified and slain. The blame is with you. The blood is on your hands. You did it. You crucified Him. But to understand what happened, you have to go all the way back to God's counsel. This is the rock of the absolute sovereignty of God. It's a stumbling block. It's a rock of offense. We will all trip over it this morning in unbelief. If God is not gracious, and if He does not give us faith to believe what the Scriptures so plainly teach, you're not in control. I'm not in control. No one's in control as a creature. Satan's not in control. God is in control. He does all His good pleasure all the time. 
Yes, we are rational, moral creatures. Yes, we have a heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yes, we have a will. We make plans. We have intentions. And we try to carry out those plans. But God is not only sovereign over us. God is sovereign before us in the decrees of His counsel where He determines all things that shall ever be. And He executes all the decrees of His counsel even through the evil intentions of men. Absolutely sovereign. And that doesn't make the brothers any less guilty. That doesn't minimize their sin. God did not hate Joseph and try to destroy him. They did. God did not in hatred throw him into the pit, sell him as a slave. They did. God did not take the spikes and in hatred nail his son to a cross. They hated him and nailed him to the cross. They are guilty. But in His absolute sovereignty, in the decrees of His counsel, God determined all things. Joseph says, ye thought evil against me. God meant it. He planned it. He decreed it. He thought it. For what? That's the great question. For what? Unto what? He's the most despicable being in the whole universe. If he meant this evil for evil, for the sake of evil, listen, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Unto good. Good. The glory of His own name. Good. The continuation of His covenant to a thousand generations. Good. The coming of the Son of His love, the Messiah. All this evil, why? Good. The salvation of much people alive. But as for you, ye thought evil against Me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now that is Joseph's confession. There they are, on the ground. They're terrified. And now this confession. A remarkable confession of grace. There's so much grace in the text. Counsel, providence, covenant, goodness, salvation, so much grace in the text. But the astonishing, the great manifestation of God's grace in the text is not what what Joseph said, but it's that he said it. He actually believes this. And he confesses this. And not only God's goodness in the abstract, not only God's goodness applied to many different things, he actually believes that God is good right here in all of this, his own life. And he confesses it. Not every child of God is able to do that in in any particular moment. That's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. 
sometimes it happens that the faith of God's children is so weak, it's not burning brightly, it's not even flickering, it's reduced to a little smoke, nothing more. He, he, right now, at, at this moment, he can't quite say it. That's not good. That Joseph confessed it? What a marvelous display of God's grace working in him to say it. And so it's the grace of God that makes Joseph in this confession, first of all, compassionate, forgiving. Had the brothers been impenitent, then Joseph still would have confessed God's goodness. Always God is good. But he would not have been seeking to comfort them, to reassure them, He would have warned them, brothers, you don't have to fear me. But as so long as you continue impenitently, you must fear the living God with whom you have to do. He'll destroy you, body and soul in hell, brothers. Repent. They were penitent. They were pleading for mercy. And so Joseph now confesses, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, and now that father's dead, you don't have to cower at my feet and be terrified that I'm going to pay you back a hundredfold, strip you all naked, lash you, gash you, whip you, sell you into hard labor, force you into the deepest dungeon and torture you for everything you did to me. I love you, brothers. I do. I love you. I am so glad God has brought you to genuine repentance and I will not hold this evil against you. Why should I be angry and resent you when God meant this for good? May God give us that spirit. Isn't it the spirit of the Lord Jesus who while hanging on that cross was looking at some who said, crucify Him, crucify Him. We have no king but Caesar. And He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And several weeks later on Pentecost, through the preaching of Peter, God convicts them. He brings some of them to genuine repentance and forgives them. compassionate and forgiving. In the second place, it's God's grace that makes Joseph in this confession humble so that he confesses, you thought evil against me, but I'm not now going to vaunt myself into the highest heavens and try to come face to face with God and charge God with sin for bringing all this evil and trauma into my life. Why, oh God, why did you do this? And I'm not going to vaunt myself over you, brothers. Take my foot and press down hard upon all of your necks and say, vengeance is mine. I will repay you for all you did unto me. Brothers, I too am nothing but a sinner saved by grace. I too deserve to perish everlastingly. Brothers, you were so wrong to do this. You hurt me so badly, but I know that God meant it for good and I rest in His will. 
Isn't that the Spirit of our Lord on the cross? Not only facing all the hatred of those men and everything they did and said, but the full weight of the wrath of God upon Him for sins He never committed. You know how glorious the Gospel is? He was paying. He was paying for all that those brothers did. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, all that evil perpetrated. He was paying for it. And all the sins of Joseph, all my sins, all your sins, he never committed them. He was paying for all those sins. And what did he do? He humbly submitted to the goodwill of God. It's the Spirit of our Lord. And third and finally, it is God's grace in this confession that makes Joseph devoted to God in his covenant. By nature, apart from grace, Joseph would never be able to look away from himself. He would turn all the attention to himself and say, brothers, you thought evil against me. I'm a victim now. A victim of your treachery. My life is changed forever. My life is ruined, no matter what honor I ever have here in Egypt. My life is ruined forever. There's nothing good for me. And that's it. By grace, he says, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. All these covenant people. And isn't that so remarkable? He's looking at the covenant people. I would expect him to say, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save me alive. And that's good. That's right. That's true. Isn't that what we say? Isn't that the truth that undergirds us, our faith in the great day of trouble, that God will work all of this together for my good? And isn't that what you say to your brother or sister in the great day of adversity? Brother, I can't imagine all the evil that was done unto you, what your family did to you. Sister, I can't even begin to comprehend that someone would do something like that to you. It is so evil. It is so wrong. But you have to know this. Believe this. I pray, God, you do. That God will work all of this together for your good. He will sanctify you. He will glorify you. Right now, you're sowing in tears, but you need to know that you are going to reap in joy that's true. But Joseph doesn't say me to save me alive today. Just like Jesus on that cross looking out to all the much people of the covenant of God whom he was saving, Joseph looks away from himself. Brothers, don't you see it? What God has brought to pass this day to save much people alive. That's the great good. Now get up. I'll nourish you. I'll come for you. Get up. 
see, you're so scared right now because you're operating under this wrong assumption. And this wrong assumption is that I think it's all about me. That this is all about me, my life, my story, my trauma, my hurt, my scars, my wounds, my victimhood. And if that were the case, of course, now I'm going to take my foot and step hard on the neck of each one of you and say, vengeance is mine. I, I, I will repay. Brothers, I have never made this about me. Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. Go back to my lowest low when I was cast into that prison on false charges. I don't know if he's still alive. Maybe you can find him the butler. Ask him, what was Joseph doing in prison? What did he say? What did he do? How was he praying? How was he singing? How was he talking? All by God's almighty grace. I've never made this about me. It isn't about me. It's about our great God and the everlasting covenant of grace. The glory of God's name into all eternity. The coming of God's Messiah. Come, thou long-expected Savior. It's about the salvation of much people alive. Good. You thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass it is this day to save much people alive. Now, may God give to you and me, to all of us, that same spirit so that whatever the hardships of our life may be, we're able to say in confidence, God means this for good good. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy almighty word of grace. For the book of Genesis, its history, and the revelation of Thy grace in it. Now bind to the hearts of us and our children the comforting word of the gospel. For Jesus' sake, Amen.